You are listening to the First Baptist Church Martin podcast. For more information on our church, visit fbcmartin.org. got your Bible, would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Back in November of last year, 2022, I reached a milestone in my ministry here at First Baptist. It marked my 14th year here as the pastor of First Baptist Church Martin. 14 years I have been here as pastor. When I walked into this church, when God called me here to be the pastor, I walked right into a building program. The church had already started the process. A building committee had been formed. Uh, They had already been given an assignment by the church to develop, come up with plans for constructing a new worship center. And I just walked right into it when I got here. Within the first month or so, I found myself sitting in building committee meetings where we were uh, interviewing for architects. We had to hire an architect, and then the architect had to come up with a a concept, a plan for how we were going to do this thing. Uh, And and it was going to be a major undertaking because it would involve tearing down a structure that was already here. We had uh, some office space that uh, faced out this way. And it had some educational space attached to it. It was an older building, but we were going to take that building down and construct this worship center in the place where it stood. And then after this building was completed, after the worship center was completed, we were then going to tear down the old worship center that faced University Street, and we were going to build new offices and new educational space where that stood and it was going to involve taking one building down while you leave another standing and then have to take that building down. And, and all of this had to fit together. And so we had to interview contractors because not just anybody could do this. I mean, there was a lot to this thing. But we found someone who could take on the project. Uh, the church voted to move ahead uh, with the project. And when it was all said and done, when we were finished with all of the construction, we found ourselves sitting in about $8 million worth of debt. And for 12 years as the pastor, I've been here 14 years, for 12 of those years, uh, we have been chipping away at that massive debt. And at the end of 2022, going into 2023, we found ourselves under a million dollars. We're sitting somewhere around $650,000 left on uh, this project. And if giving trends were to continue as they have in the past, it's very likely that we could pay this thing off by the end of 2023 going into 2024. It's amazing. And all the praise and the glory and the honor goes to the Lord. We we would never have done it without, without his blessing and his favor upon this church. But I share that with you. Uh, Just to let you know kind of where we are, but I also want to inform you this morning that even as we come to the end of one project, it doesn't mean that the process of building here at First Baptist has ended. In fact, there's a building project that is going on here that started long before I ever showed up. 
And it will continue on long after I'm gone, should the Lord Jesus tarry. It is the work of not constructing a physical building, but that of constructing a spiritual building. See, this building is not the church. This is the place where this church, this body of believers, known as First Baptist Martin, this is the place where we often gather, where we assemble together with one another for the purpose of worshiping the Lord together, of being instructed in His Word, of being equipped and edified as saints so that we could then leave this place and go out into the world, our world, the world in which we live, and live as ambassadors for Jesus Christ where He sends us doing the work that he has called us to do, and that is the work of sharing the gospel and making disciples of Jesus Christ. And that is an ongoing work. It's a never-ending work. It will only be completed when Jesus Christ himself comes for his church. And you and I are a part of that great work. Peter talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says that we as believers are like living stones, and we have been brought together through faith in Jesus Christ and joined together by the Holy Spirit as God is building us up into what he calls the spiritual house. It's the picture there of this ongoing work. Every time a person comes to faith in Christ, another stone is added in the church that God is building and this work just continues on, and you and I are blessed to be a part of that great work, not just to be stones in that building that God is constructing, but also to be a part of the work itself. And what should matter to us more than anything is that, would we, is that we would be faithful to the work that our Lord Jesus has called us to as his people, the work of building his church. And this is what Paul is talking about here in the middle of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He's talking about the work that God has called us to as believers. And so I want us to look at it together this morning. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning with verse 10. Would you stand with me this morning in honor of our Lord and the reading of his word to us today? Paul says, according to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, uh, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. And if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. And Father, I pray, teach us this morning from your word, by your Holy Spirit. Lord, speak to us, I pray today. Give us ears to hear, minds to understand, hearts to receive your glorious truth. And Lord, I pray that it would find good soil upon which to rest. May it bear fruit in our lives to the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So there's just two things that I want you to see this morning from our text. 
And the first is this. I, I want you to look at what Paul has to say about our involvement. I'm talking about believers here, those who are in Christ. Paul talks about our involvement, our inclusion, if you would, in the work of building the church. Now he starts off in, in verse 10, and he says, according to the grace of God which was given to me. So this is kind of his own personal testimony here. He's going to talk about, about the role that God had called him to specifically as an apostle in the work of building the church. But notice he prefaces that by saying that his place and his part in building the church is all according to the grace of God that has been given to him. Now, oftentimes when we think about the grace of God, we only think about it in the context of salvation. God rescuing us from our sin. And indeed, you experience the amazing grace of God in your salvation that God would send his son to die for you, to die for your sins so that you could be delivered from sin and saved and have the hope and the promise of eternal life. All of that is a testimony to God's amazing grace. But what Paul is saying is this, it's not just the grace of God that saves us, it's by God's grace that we have also been called as believers to be a part of his work in building the church. Paul was humbled by the fact that God would not only deliver him from his sins, but then God would also choose to use him in some special way to be a part of his work in spreading the gospel and making disciples of others throughout the world. He was humbled by this, overwhelmed by this, and you find this often in Paul's letters when he wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. He says, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. He was overwhelmed by the fact that God would call him to be a minister of the gospel because he remembered what he once was. He says, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant, exceedingly abundant this grace was that was given to me with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus, that not only would God save me, but that God would call me into the ministry. That's how every believer should look upon his or her calling. You see, you need to understand that God's purpose for your life is not just to deliver you from your sin, but God wants to take the life that he's given you and he wants to use it for his glory. He has something for you, something that he wants you to be a part of, something that he wants you to do in the work of building his church and advancing his kingdom here on this earth. And we should be blown away by that, overwhelmed by the fact that God would choose to use people like us, that he would save people like us, but then he would choose to use people like us in the building of the church. And this is where Paul found himself. Now, we know that Paul, of course, had a special plan and a special purpose in God's work of spreading the gospel and building the church of the Lord Jesus Christ on this earth. In fact, he talks about it in verse 10. He says, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. And then another comes along and builds on it. Now, I want you to kind of focus in on where Paul talks about himself as being a wise master builder. The word master builder there is actually one word in the Greek. It's translated as two in the English text, but it's actually one word. And the word in the Greek is this, architecton. Do you pick up anything from that? 
architecton. It's the word from which we get our word architect. Now, when you and I think about an architect in our culture, we think about someone who's responsible for designing a building, someone who comes up with the concept and then begins to design and draw the plans. But that was not the idea behind the word in Paul's day. Instead, this word architecton was really a word that referred to a general contractor. Someone came up to me after the first service and said that they have a footnote in their Bible that says, a skilled engineer. It's someone, it's a picture of someone who's been given the plans already and is now responsible for taking the plans that they have been given and then executing those plans, carrying out those plans as they have been instructed. And this is how Paul views himself. Paul's not talking about building his own church. Paul's not saying, I'm the one responsible for designing what the church is supposed to look like. Paul says, I've been given the design, and now my responsibility is just to carry out that design according to the Lord's will. When I think about that, I think about my years as a pastor and, and dealing with search committees as a pastor. When someone would come and interview you in the process of, uh, of calling a new pastor, they would sit down, they'll ask you a series of questions, and almost always you can count on being asked this question. Would you tell me, what is your vision for the church? And I'll be honest, in my, in my early days of ministry, I was intimidated by that question, overwhelmed by that question, because I thought that I was responsible for coming up with some grand design, some grand vision for what the church is supposed to look like. But that's not the case at all. You see, the truth is, there's only one vision that matters for the church, and it is a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one who is responsible for designing the church, and that is Christ himself. And listen, the blueprint has been given to us in the Word of God. All I'm responsible for is taking what God has revealed in his Word and then carrying that out. And that's the same that's true for the church at, at, at large. Our responsibility is not to come up with our own design for the church, but just to follow his design. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He says, I am a wise master builder, and the wisdom comes in following the instructions that you have been given. And as a wise master builder, I am now doing what the Lord has called me to do. And where do you begin? When it comes to building the church, where do you start? You start with the foundation. And Paul talks about that here. He says in verse 10, according to the grace of God which is given to me as a wise master, master builder, I have laid the foundation. And then another comes along and builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay, verse 11, than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Everyone knows that when you're constructing a physical building, the foundation has got to be right. The foundation is critical. If the foundation is off, the whole thing's off. I mean, you just forget about it. I mean, you may construct something, and it may look good in the beginning, but eventually the cracks are going to show up. The, the, the structure is going to shift. It, it, could, it could possibly collapse because it has a shabby foundation. 
You've got to have a solid foundation if you want something to stand. And Paul says, for the church, there's only one foundation, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. The church is built on Jesus Christ. The Christian faith is built on Jesus Christ. It reminds me of uh, the conversation that Jesus had with his disciples just outside of Caesarea Philippi when he asked them one day, what's the word on the street? What are people saying about me? Who do men say that I am? And they came back at him with these answers. Well, there's some who believe that you're Elijah. And then some think that you're John the Baptist raised from the dead. And others believe that you're one of the other prophets. And then Jesus asked them this question. He says, okay, what about you? Who do you say that I am? In our day, it would be like him saying to us, hey, what, what are people out there in the world, what are they saying about me? Well, people think that you're a good teacher. They think that you were a good man who lived a long time ago, that you did a lot of good things, uh, that you were someone who was sent from God. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 you tell me, what do you think? And Peter, when he's put on the spot there with all the other disciples, he speaks up and he says, I'll tell you. He says, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God. That's who you are. And Jesus looked at him and he said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. You didn't come up with this on your own. But my Father in heaven, he revealed this to you. And it's upon this rock, not Peter, but it's on this rock. It's on the truth of what Peter confessed, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the one sent from God to save us from our sins. Jesus Christ is the only way to God. He is Lord. It's on that truth that the Lord will build His church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. The church only has one foundation, and that foundation is Jesus Christ and His Word. Now, that's important to understand, folks, because listen, the Jesus Christ that we're talking about this morning, the Jesus Christ upon which the Christian faith and the Christian church is built is the Jesus that is revealed here in the Word of God, not the Jesus that has been created in the minds of culture and men today. You see, here's what's happened in our world today. There are many who believe that the Jesus of the Bible is a little outdated, and he's a little out of touch, and he's become irrelevant uh, in the world that we live in today. And so if we want people to believe in Jesus, then we're going to have to prop Jesus up. And so what Jesus needs is a makeover. And in some places, they've given Jesus an extreme makeover so that he looks nothing like the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus that's being presented and promoted by much of the world today is a Jesus who, well, he conforms to our image instead of us conforming to his image. He's the Jesus who is here to help us, but not one who is necessary to save us. He's the Jesus whose love causes him to deny and disregard his own holiness and justice. He's the Jesus who blends in with culture rather than confronting culture. He's the Jesus who winks at sin, has no demands, requires no repentance, expects no change, and no commitment on our part. He's the Jesus who leaves it up to us to decide for ourselves what is right and what is true. And let me tell you something. Anyone who would build their life or their faith or their church on that Jesus is building on a shabby foundation and it might look good, but it ain't going to stand. The Jesus that we preach, the Jesus 
who is the foundation of the church, is the Jesus Christ of Scripture. The eternal Word of God revealed in the written Word of God. And as I told you last week, those two are inseparable. Jesus and His Word are inseparable. And so if you're trying to build a church, you're trying to build a marriage, you're trying to build a family or a life on anything other than Jesus Christ and His Word, you're like the man who is building foolishly upon the sand. And eventually... What you've built is going to collapse. There's no other foundation that can be laid than the one that has been laid, which is Christ Jesus. Paul understood that. That's why he went in, when he went into a city, the first thing he did is just preach the cross. He preached Christ, the gospel. He trusted in the power of God. And as men and women heard the message of the cross, the Spirit of God grabbed hold of their hearts Brought them to the knowledge of the truth that what Paul is saying is right. They came under the conviction of sin. They repented of their sin. They put their faith in Jesus and they were born again. And a church was established. A church was founded on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And then once the church was established, Paul's job was then to begin building on that foundation. And so Paul would then begin to teach these new believers the truth of God's Word, how to walk with Christ, how to live now in Christ. It's the work of discipleship. But we know that Paul never stayed in one place very long. That wasn't his calling. Paul had a specific call on his life, and that calling was to move from place to place and plant churches and take the gospel all throughout the Gentile world. And so he stayed in some places longer than others, but he didn't stay in any place very long. And Paul knew that when he left, it was going to be up to others to come behind him and to build on that foundation that had already been laid. Now, what Paul is saying here has special relevance to those who are ministers of the gospel, those who have been called vocationally into a role like myself where we are responsible for shepherding the church, for leading the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in this world. It's, a, it's an assignment that has a great deal of responsibility attached to it. Because even though we know in the end, every one of us is going to stand before the Lord and have to give an account for the life that we live, the Bible says, let not many of you become teachers knowing that you're going to receive a stricter judgment. I do believe with my whole heart that those who are in places of leadership in the church are going to be held to a stricter judgment than others simply because of the role that they play and have been given within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why not everybody should do this and those who do assume this role and this responsibility who are called to it need to do so in humility and in fear knowing that one day you've got to answer to God not just for your own life but for the lives of others that you influenced and so that when I walked in here literally there was a building project that was going on that started long before any building committee was formed it started the day that this church was founded on the gospel of Jesus Christ. When a church was planted here in Martin, Tennessee, and formed as a body known at First Baptist Church, God began to work here. Others have been building on that, and then here comes me. Along with the others that God has brought here at this particular time. And we're just building on the foundation 
that was laid a long time ago. We're workers together in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there's a special relevance there to those who have places of leadership. But that does not exclude all of you because what you need to understand is that as a follower of Jesus Christ, you too are involved in the building of the church, in the work of the gospel. God didn't save you so that you could just sit and sour the rest of your life until you get to heaven. God saved you so that you could bring Him glory by allowing Him to use your life to fulfill His purposes to do the work that he has called you to do, that he's called us all to do in making disciples of Jesus Christ, of sharing the gospel, of advancing the kingdom of God in our world. And every one of us has a role and a responsibility. The foundation has been laid in your life. You've come to faith in Jesus Christ, but now you're building something on that foundation. We're building something collectively as a church, but you're building something individually as a believer hopefully to the glory of Christ. And what Paul is saying here flies in the face of the consumer mentality that has infiltrated the church today because we have this consumer mentality in the church where people think that the church only exists for what it can do for me. The the only reason I'm here is to see what you people can offer me, see what you can do for me. See how you can bless me, how you can take care of me. And I want you to understand, listen, there are benefits and there are blessings that come from belonging to the body of Christ or being a part of a local church. Absolutely there are. But listen, it's bigger than that. And God's purposes are bigger than you. God hasn't just brought you here for what you can get from the church. He brings you here expecting that you're going to give something as well something to him for the glory of his name and helping to build his church in Martin, Tennessee. And one day, all of us are going to have to answer for what we built on the foundation that has been laid in our life. And so Paul talks about our involvement here, our inclusion in this work of building the church. And then he comes to the place where he talks about the inspection, the Lord's inspecting of our work in building the church because he reminds us again that one day we're all going to be brought under review we were constructing this building the physical building here that you're sitting in there were people walking through here all the time with clipboards checking boxes to make sure that we were building correctly that we were building up to code that we were doing all the things that we were supposed to be doing and following the designs that we had been given for the church Before we could ever move in, there is someone who has to come in and inspect the building to make sure that the building is safe, that the building is up to cold, that it is ready for people to move in and begin to worship here. And and that's true with anything that you build. You build it, and then it comes under inspection. And Paul is saying, listen, when, when it comes to building the church, the one who is going to inspect it in the end is the one who designed it from the beginning, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And one day, everything that we built is going to be reviewed. It is going to be judged by the Lord. Look at what he says. He says in verse 10, According to the grace of God which is uh, given to me as a wise master builder, I've laid on the foundation, another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. Be careful what you do. 
Be careful how you live. Be careful what you build on the foundation of Jesus Christ in your life. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, these would be things that last, things that will endure. In Paul's mind, he's thinking about eternal things, the right things, doing the right things in your life, living for the right things, investing in the right things in your life. That's the gold and silver and precious stones. But then others, he said, will build with wood and hay and straw. Those are the worthless things, worldly things, temporal things. He says one day it's going to be made clear and evident which materials you used in building your life, what you spent your life on. And so he says in verse 13, each one's work will become clear for the day, that is the day of judgment, will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. And if anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as through fire. And so what he's saying is that one day the truth is going to come out on all of us. It doesn't matter how things may appear to others. One day, the truth about all of us is going to become known because the Lord Jesus Christ is going to put our life to the test. He is the one who is going to examine what we've built. Now, I want to be clear that what Paul is talking about here is not the judgment of sin. He's writing to believers here. And so if you are in Christ this morning, you need to be comforted and assured that your sin has already been dealt with by Jesus Christ on the cross. Listen, nobody has to tell me I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. And you don't have to tell me that I don't deserve to go to heaven because I know I don't deserve to go to heaven. But my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. My hope of heaven is in what Jesus Christ did for me. Because when he went to the cross, he took my sin on himself. He suffered the punishment that my sin demands. And then he was raised up from the dead so that through him I could be forgiven, reconciled to God, clothed in his righteousness, and have the hope and the promise of eternal life. It's all because of Jesus. Can I get a witness? We owe everything to Jesus. And just to be clear, if you're here and and Christianity is new to you and, and, and you don't know much about the Christian faith, I just want you to know that there's nobody in this room that's going to heaven because they came to church today, because they read their Bible, because we're good, because we give, because we do any of those things. Listen, our only hope of going to heaven is Jesus. It's what Jesus did for us. He's the one that died for our sins. And our hope is completely in him. And so our sin has been dealt with. Our sin has already been judged. Jesus took our sin on himself at the cross. What Paul is talking about here for believers is the judgment seat of Christ. He's talking about the day when our works will be brought under review. So if you're a Christian, you're saved, you're going to heaven. But what about the life that you've lived? What about the works that you have done in Christ? What does that look like? One day, the Lord Jesus is going to review that. And he's going to judge us according to our works. Now, what things will be taken into consideration? John MacArthur, in his commentary on 1 Corinthians, says that there are at least three things in his mind that will be brought under review. I think he's right about these three things. 
He says, first of all, our motives. Why did we do what we did? Sometimes we as Christians can do the right things, but we do the right things for the wrong reasons. Instead of bringing glory to God, it's all about bringing glory to ourselves. Did they see this? Is there anybody watching me? Look what I'm doing. I, I do it to get attention. I do it so people will think, what a wonderful person he is. And so I may be doing the right things, but I'm doing them for the wrong reasons. Listen, the reason for everything that we do should be to bring praise and honor and glory to Jesus Christ alone. And so is that how you've lived your life? Have you lived your life desiring no glory for yourself and only to give glory to the Lord Jesus Christ? That's going to be brought under review. Second thing he says is this, our conduct. What kind of life did we live? Did we walk in holiness and in righteousness, or was our life marked by carnality and compromise? Did our life bear witness of the salvation that we have received? Last week we talked about the carnal Christian and, and how the carnal Christian looks a lot like those who are still of this world. In fact, there's very little difference when you just look at the surface. There's very little difference in the appearance of the natural man, the person who's lost, and the person who is saved, but they're out of the will of God and living in sin. I had a conversation with a guy this week who's been struggling, about their sal struggling with his salvation. And it's about this whole issue is that, that, that he believes that he's put his faith in Christ, but he knows his life should look different than what it looks like right now. And so he's had this struggle in his mind and in his heart trying to reconcile his salvation. Am I saved or am I not, am I not saved? And the reason is because he can't look at his life and see any real fruit of salvation there. And there are people, according to Scripture, who are going to live their entire life that way. People who are going to make it to heaven. By the grace of God, they're going to get there. But there's going to be very little evidence in their life of spiritual fruit. That's why Jesus said you can't go and pull up the tares from the wheat because inevitably you'll pull up some of the wheat along with it. Because there are some people in the church who look like they're lost even though they're really saved. Now let me say this to you. Nobody, nobody who truly has experienced the grace of God should want to have a lousy testimony like that. I mean, are you kidding me? Jesus Christ died for your sins. He doesn't make light of your sin. He took your sin on himself and suffered the punishment that your sin demands so that you could be set free. And out of gratitude for the grace that's been given to us, should we not desire to live a life of obedience and righteousness and holiness for his glory? Is that how you're living? One day, one day, the truth is going to come out when your life is brought under review. And then the third thing he says is we're going to be evaluated based on our service. Did we use the gifts, the abilities, the time, the resources that God gave us to build his kingdom? Or did we waste them on the world and trying to build our own kingdoms? Did we give the Lord our best in this life? Or did we just throw him the scraps and the leftovers? Everything. Everything about our works is going to be brought under review. And Paul says, on that day, the things that we have done for his glory, for eternity's sake, it will stand. When tested by fire, when the one who has eyes like a flame of fire and sees right through everything, when he examines our life and puts it to the test, 
that which we have done for his glory in building the church and advancing the kingdom of God, it will remain and it will stand. But that which we have wasted on this world and on ourselves and on worthless things, the temporal things of this life, all of that is just going to go up in smoke. And Paul says, what remains will receive a reward. And what is gone is gone. And he says, in the end, there are going to be some, listen to this, in the end, there are going to be some who are going to watch their whole life go up in smoke. Their whole life is just going to go up in flames. And they're going to be standing before the Lord Jesus with nothing left. And he says, they will be saved, but so as through fire. The picture here is someone who's going to heaven but smells like they had a close call with hell. Because their whole life was spent on worthless things and just went up on sm in smoke on the day of judgment. Now, if you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, well, that really don't matter to me. You know, just as long as I get in, you know. I mean, we got... We got we got college students here, high school students, junior high students. I was one of those. Anybody ever, you know, get the syllabus at the beginning of the semester and just want to see what is the bare minimum I got to do to get out of here? Huh? What, what, what's the bare minimum that I have to do just to pass this class and move on? There's some of you who are living your life like that in Christ. You say that you know him. Perhaps you do. But you're content on just doing as little as you can for the Lord Jesus while you spend the rest of your life on the things of this world. And it's just enough for you to know that you're going to get to heaven one day. Even though when you stand before the Lord, you're not going to have anything to offer him for the life that you lived. Man, if you're good with that, Something's wrong. And you may think that you're okay with it right now, but I'm telling you, on that day, you will not be. What a shame to miss the one, to, to, to meet the one who gave his life for you so that you could go to heaven. But stand there with nothing to offer him and nothing to give him as an, as an expression of gratitude and thanksgiving for all that he had done for you. There's a song that we used to sing in the church years ago. Maybe every once in a while it comes back around. But I was thinking about it this week as I was reading through this text and thinking through the text. Some of you may recognize the song. For others, it may be so old now that it doesn't ring a bell at all. But here's, here's, here's what the lyrics say. It says, we fall down, we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. The greatness of mercy and love at the feet of Jesus. And we cry, holy, holy, holy. We cry, holy, holy, holy. We cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lamb. We fall down, we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. Now, I want you to think about this. The Bible talks about eternal rewards for the saved. I don't know all that that looks like. 
But the Bible talks about eternal rewards for the saved. And it describes it this way. It says that the Lord is going to give to those on that day a crown. There's a crown of righteousness that's mentioned, a crown that's imperishable that's mentioned, the crown of life that is mentioned. There's these different crowns that are spoken of in the New Testament. And so let's just imagine for a moment that that's the reward. The reward is that when you stand before the Lord, whatever's remaining in your life after it's put to the test, what you did for His glory, for the kingdom of God, at the end of it all, you receive a crown for that. What do you think you're going to do with that crown? Let me tell you what you're not going to do, okay? What you're not going to do is puff your chest out and strut around and say, hey, look, look, look up here. Look at me, look what I did. It's pretty impressive, right? Look at the reward. That's not what you're going to do. Here's what Scripture says. In Revelation, we're given this little glimpse into heaven, just kind of a, a peek through heaven's window to see what it's going to be like when we get there. And there's this picture of the saints gathering around the throne of God before the Lamb. And the Bible says that they take their crowns. You know what they do with them? They lay them at His feet. So any crown that you've been given for the life that you live, the immediate response is to take that crown and to lay it back at the feet of Jesus because it was all for Him. My, my life is all about you. Anything good that came from my life is because of you. What I did in this life, I tried to do for your praise and your honor and your glory for you alone are worthy, O Lord. And to see the saints laying these crowns at the feet of Jesus and saying, you alone, you alone are worthy, O Lord. Holy, holy, holy is your name. To see the saints laying those crowns at the feet of Jesus and you standing there smelling like smoke because your life just went up in flames and you're watching this, do you not think that that might bother you a little? To know that you've just met the one who gave his life to save yours and you got nothing to offer but a wasted life. Oh, you're going to heaven. Praise God you're going to heaven. But you just don't have anything to show for the grace that you've been given. No one who's experienced the grace of God that I know of could hear that, think about that, and be okay with that. Everything inside of us should be motivated and moved by the grace of God to want to give everything that we have to King Jesus. So that when we get to the end of this life, we at least have something to lay at His feet. To say, thank You, Lord, for what You did for me. Amen? We're all building together. We're all a part of this work. If you're saved, the foundation has been laid. The question is, what are you building on that foundation? What are we building on that foundation? Let's build with the right stuff. Let's build something that will last and go into eternity with us to the glory of our Lord. Amen.
If you were encouraged by today's sermon, leave us a rating and subscribe to the podcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church Martin, visit fpcmartin.org.